0: Well, this morning's Bible reading is taken from 2 Kings. We're going to read the first and second chapter of 2 Kings. And it says this After the death of Ahab, Moab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said It is Elijah the Tishbite Then the king sent to him A captain of fifty men With his fifty He went up to Elijah Who was sitting on the top of a hill And he said to him O man of God The king says Come down But Elijah answered the captain of fifty If I am a man of God. Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life And the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place. In the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, if you um, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and taught behind behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him And went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore 50 men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant. As my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the springs of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, Neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald-headed, go up, you bald-head. And he turned round, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of the boys from there, he went on to Mount Carmel. And from there, he returned to Samaria. Well, in a minute, we're going to have a look at that passage. To be honest, we're going to focus in mostly on one Kings, uh, sorry, 2 Kings 1. Uh, we'll make a passing note about 2 Kings 2 in the reflection. Um, but it's question time. So we can obviously either spend more time exploring 2 Kings 1 or maybe look at 2 Kings 2 there. That's kind of up to you. Uh, Obviously, you've got your sermon outline that you can use or not. And let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for the opportunity to meet and reflect on your word. We thank you for these remarkable events that we have recorded for us. We do thank you for those prophets that have come before. We take heed of the warnings that Jesus uh, made to his contemporaries, that people never listened or paid attention to the words of the prophets. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be careful to hold these people in high regard because they are your servants who testify about the things that are to come and anticipate and look forward to the time when your son will come. So we pray, Lord, that we would mind these um, passages for all they're worth, so we might get to know you better. Amen. If I am a man of God, let fire... Come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. That is an awful lot of power for one man. Interestingly, you may remember this is something the disciples themselves attempted in Luke 9, verse 54. If you remember, the Samaritan village did not receive Jesus. So the disciples offer, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. The funny thing is, in as little as 16 or 17 verses later, Jesus gives the disciples the instruction to tell town's that do not receive him, that it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And Sodom is known for being destroyed by sulfur and fire that's rained down from heaven. Does all this mean that the contemporary Christian has the power to rain fire down from heaven over every whim? That really would be quite unimaginable. Someone cuts you up, fire from heaven. Someone gives you the finger, fire from heaven. The boss overlooks you for promotion again, fire from heaven. If nothing else, whose job would it be to continually clear up the piles of ash left all around the world? Now, I wouldn't be surprised if you're thinking, come on, this is a bit silly. You've taken this a little bit too far. Well, you could be right. But is it really that unrealistic? Christians through the ages have expected to have the ability to heal... Exorcise demons, pray for anything and expect to receive it? Why would causing fire to fall down from heaven be the exception? To explore this, let's consider some of the specifics of 2 Kings 1. Ahaziah was a bad king like his father Ahab. Ahab. The description of his fall through the lattice seems to be nothing more than that. There's no evidence that the fall itself was part of God's judgment upon him. Rather, he fell, and the question now is, what will be his next move? And his next move is to send messengers to go and inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron to discover whether he will recover from his sickness or not. It's at this point that the angel of the Lord instructs Elijah to intercede. Elijah is to say, verse 3 and 4, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of zebub the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, for you shall surely die. Elijah gives the king the answer to the question he had asked. He will surely die. And the reason being is he's gone to seek an answer from another god, and not the God of Israel. His condemnation has come about because he sought an answer from a foreign god and not Yahweh. Now, does it take a captain and his 50 men to invite a prophet for an audience with the king it feels a little bit overkill and if you think about it if Jesus observes the numbers the number of the mob that came to arrest him and observes that it seems unnecessary it should be no surprise that Elijah felt threatened when 50 soldiers and their captain arrived for him And of course, Elijah does have some history with this family. What I want to do is I want to propose a question and spend a moment exploring it. And that question is, how did Elijah know that having said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty that it would happen. How did he know that that would happen? Let's suppose for a moment that he didn't know it would work. If this is the case, he has potentially compromised himself. Since he begins with the phrase, if I am a man of God, then that he is a man of god becomes conditional on what he has just said happening that is to say if he if it doesn't happen then he cannot be an authentic man of god now we might say if it doesn't happen then maybe they'll leave him alone because He isn't the man of God they think him to be. But I don't think this really works. They have such a diminished view of God that they would seize him regardless so as not to go back to the king empty-handed. So the only reason Elijah would have said it is because he knew it would happen. This means we can tease out this statement and draw some implications from it. We've already said it's a conditional statement. If I am who you say I am, then this will happen. Which means if it doesn't happen, then Elijah is not a man of God. We can also say a genuine man of God's his mind would be in line with God's mind. This is implied in the term man of God. To be a man of God means he thinks God's thoughts after him. And his sole concern is the glory of God. It wouldn't make sense For a man of God to be doing his own thing. If he was simply pleasing himself. He couldn't be a man of God in the true sense. So to be a man of God. Means that whatever is included in a conditional statement. Would be something they would know to be true. As a man of God. That is to say, being a man of God implies knowing God, knowing his thoughts after him, being of like mind, being aware of his purposes. That Elijah is a prophet doesn't give him the freedom to send fire down down at his own will. That he is a prophet means he speaks and acts God's will. He can only call fire down from heaven if God has already decided to do that very thing. And in whatever way, made it clear to his prophet that this will happen. Now, what we can conclude from all this is God was ready to vindicate Elijah as his prophet, God was ready to protect him from God's own enemies. So when these men came down to take Elijah to an aggressive king, God consumes them. This happens twice. It's only the third captain that gets wise to this pattern. Notice how the end of the account is extremely abrupt. At this point, Ahaziah has lost 202 men in an effort to speak to Elijah. When Elijah finally comes, Elijah repeats what the king has already heard, the very thing he heard right at the very beginning of the account. If Ahaziah's purpose for summoning Elijah was to change the word of God, all his actions have proved futile. The whole account and its abrupt end highlights the impotence of the king who sets himself against Yahweh. As he seeks out a word from a foreign god, while the foreign god is never allowed to speak, not that he can speak, because he's a mute anyway. Anyway. So the king's impotence is contrasted with the power of God. God gave Ahaziah the answer to his question. He would die. He was also given the reason. It's because he hadn't sought out Yahweh, but sought out a foreign god. And despite his attempts to coerce a different outcome... At every step, God consolidates the fact that Haziah's efforts are futile. And so we return to the question that we began with. Should we, as the people of God, be able to rain fire down from heaven? While Jesus exorcises demons, turns water into wine, heals the lame, walks on water, and so on... I don't recall him raining fire down from heaven. But then we do have that peculiar example we began with. Having been rebuked for suggesting fire consumes the Samaritans, a few verses later the disciples are told, for the towns that do not receive them as Jesus' representatives, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town back in the Psalms we're introduced to Yahweh's Messiah and their enemies however in one sense it's a theme that's as old as creation there is no neutral position you're either in the line of Seth or you're in the line of Cain You're in the line of the godly, or you're against God. Those who are against God, regardless how they portray it, they wish to be autonomous, and they refuse to worship their creator. So when the people reject Jesus as representatives, their condemnation awaits them on that day. There'll be no fire of heaven today. But there will come a day when the time for repentance has expired. And we have the gospel in all its fullness, since the full mystery has now been revealed. So when we speak the gospel, for everyone who receives it, theirs is the kingdom of God. But for everyone who rejects it, theirs is his condemnation. And any attempts to manipulate God will be as futile as Isaiah's attempts. And so as Psalm 2 ends, we read, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your salvation has arrived and it is here in all its fullness and glory. We thank you that when your gospel is proclaimed, whoever should hear and believe will be swept up in your plan of redemption. We pray, Lord, this morning we take the warning that it's futile to oppose you and it's futile to to try and change your mind. But rather, we pray, Lord, that we would be those who mercifully uh, or rather repentantly fall on our knees before you as the one who can provide and will provide the forgiveness we need. We pray, Lord, as we speak these words to others, that in your grace and through the conviction of your spirit, others too would join as as we live under you, knowing that your son is the only place salvation is to be found. Amen. Well I mentioned at the start there'd be opportunity for questions. That moment has arrived. Um, any thoughts or comments? Yes, Joel. Um, I just have a question, is this Baal-zebub of Ekron, is that sort of um, a mirror of more sort of Bealzebub the sort of more modern fact that you're there? Yeah, so um, I think... So, interestingly, I read in one commentary, Bealzebul is the prince of demons and Beelzebub apparently is the Prince of Flies, which is a bit of a derogatory term. So I think that's why it's used here. But yeah, I think then by the time you get to sort of like um, Mark 4, is it? And that's being used. It's kind of been adopted as a term to describe the devil. Yeah, and they've sort of become one of two. So I, th- I think at this point, obviously this is the god of Ekron, but it all starts to become... I think it's partly to do maybe with Baal as well because he becomes the kind of like uh, prototype of that which is antith- antithesis, the antithesis of God. So yeah, it all starts to become of a piece. Yes, Hannah. Yeah, let's have a quick look. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just repeat the question. So 2 Kings 2, 23 to 25, we have this, I think particularly for our con- contemporary minds, this very unfortunate incident where someone looks, you know, some kids are just joking around and like they're like, oh, you're a baldy. And the next thing you know, he's cursed them and they've been torn to shreds by bears. Um, which, you know, yeah, that's, that's sort of like, exactly like the over-the-top thing that we were describing before. So let me, let's just read it. So verse 23, "'He went up from there to Bethel, "'and while he was going up on the way, "'some small boys came out of the city "'and jeered at him, saying, "'Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. "'And he turned round, "'and when he saw them, "'he cursed them in the name of the Lord, "'and two she-bears came out of the woods "'and tore forty-two of the boys.'" From there he went on to Mount Carmel and from there he returned to Samaria. Um, So a couple of things to be thinking about. One thing that I think to keep in mind which is helpful I think is Genesis 12. So back there if you remember this is God making his promises to Abraham and in verse 12 verse 3 I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's this sense there that if you bless Abraham, you'll be blessed. If you curse him, you'll be cursed. And we see that straight away in the event in Egypt when Pharaoh, however unwittingly, steals Abraham's wife, and he therefore effectively cursing Abraham and he comes under a curse. Uh, Later on we see Melchizedek blesses Abraham and Melchizedek is blessed. So we have that theme running through. Um, So bringing that here, obviously you've got these boys who... I think it's fair to assume that, well, remember the position we find ourselves by the time we get to two kings. The whole of Israel is hostile towards God and his prophets. So, the king Ahab is the monster of all monsters. And Ahaziah is not much better. He's his son. So we're in this position where... ...Israel have completely rebelled against God. They're living um, and worshipping other gods. And the prophet is a man of disdain. You know, he is... So in one sense, these children are just reflecting the attitude of their parents. And as we know from the Ten Commandments, the sins of uh, the parents will be passed down to generations. They're just adopting the same attitude that their parents have. So when the prophet comes, what do you do? You spit and mock him. Um, so I think... That's helpful as well to bear in mind that this isn't just him being like, oh, there's some kids fooling around, but I, I'm a bad loser. Or, you know, I take things to, I'm just, Elisha, uh, Elisha's just too oversensitive and therefore responds with a, in a pathetic nature. But rather, this is a reflection of the society that he lives in who are hostile to God and hostile to his prophets, and this is how they treat his prophets. You think in terms of actually, given what Elisha had just done, having healed the water and changed it from a a water that would bring death and miscarriage, this is someone who should be held in very high regard. And so they curse him, and he curses them. I guess one of the things that's that's worth highlighting as well if it only says that he curses them. It doesn't say and um, she bears will come and two she bears will come and tear 42 of you. He hasn't gone that far. He's just given a curse. And I think at that sp- a point he probably hasn't got any high expectation of anything happening necessarily, presumably. Um, it's just... I, well, I don't know, I don't want to put... You know, don't want to read too much into it. But my guess is that he's just making a generic curse. He doesn't know what's (coughs) going to happen. Probably surprises everyone that these bears come and tear them apart. You see what I mean? So I I think that story's in there to show us that this is... This is the state of the, the people. this is the state of the time. The prophets are not held in high regard. Even the children make fun of him. Yeah. And again, you know that, I, th- I, I know what you mean, exactly. It sounds a lot like what I was described at the start, but it kind of isn't uh, although I see what you mean. Cool. That was a difficult one. <laughs> Time for one more? Oh, Katie, yes. yeah so let me just repeat the question so we've got verse 8 Elijah and Elisha together the water is struck and they go across on dry ground and then um, and then yeah 14 this is when Elisha's on his way back alone he strikes the ground and the water parts so yeah what's the significance of that well, a couple of things. I think, obviously, the first thing that we think about as we read that is it, we recall the parts of the Red Sea. So we get a Moses-like um, imagery here um, that Elijah is able to do that which Moses could do. Um, and then, of course, you've got a sense that Elisha... Re- asks for a double portion of the spirit that Elijah was given. So he's asking for the inheritance that a son would receive from a father. Um, And then, so when Elisha makes the return back, that he can do that which Elijah had done demonstrates that he has received that which he's asked. So... And then you know the rest of it, I think the healing of the water as well, or you know we we really get in the feel for elisha is elijah's um, protege, as it were, um, that sort of thing. Excellent. Shall we leave it there? Obviously, we can continue to think about these things uh over. I think it's a, like a chocolate tray bake today. Is it, no? It is. It's cake. It's cake. Right, we're going to uh stand to sing the Lord's my shepherd.